Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. You can find us under the Burn Orange Nation podcast feed. We're also known as the Internet's only Texas men's tennis podcast. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who could not be more excited about playing A&M in basketball, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, I'm great. That isn't the highlight uh, of my week. Um, I'm getting married this weekend, Gerald, so that's that's pretty cool. That is pretty 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 impressive. Yeah, uh, get to go to New Orleans, my favorite city, even before uh, Sam Ellinger planted the Longhorn flag. Inside the Sugar Bowl, just, uh, you know, good times to be had. Uh, see you this weekend. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll be in the same, not just city or state, but the same room for quite a bit of this weekend, which is pretty impressive. It's rare. It's like going going back to our youths. We've got, uh, we've got a good show for you tonight. So uh, we've got Philip Slavin, one of our favorites, coming on to talk Oklahoma State Cowboys. He'll do our next Big 12 preview. We're finally going to get back to the position previews because... Well, downing the 40 uh, is not as um, robust as it has been in the past. So we'll have some time to preview the linebackers. We'll have a little down the 40. We've got some uh, hires, some signings, and some medical updates, which is a weird way to phrase what actually that is. Uh, And then obviously we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So Kyle, we mentioned it briefly, but this week it was announced that uh, Texas and Texas A&M We'll be playing basketball against each other for the first time since the Aggies uh, turned tail and ran to the SEC, uh, which is a big deal. They're they're moving away from uh, from at least stonewalling this rivalry. So this is a, this is a big deal, right? Yeah, I mean it, it, this is a uh, this is this is a fun fun rivalry that should be played on every front. We're not going to get too too deep into. Um, where we where we feel on this as as a whole, um, whether or not Texas has tried to scare uh, schedule A and M and they were scared um, or otherwise, they did actually play in 2015 at the uh, the Battle for Atlantis, which I think is in Hawaii. I don't remember. It's one of those preseason kind or not preseason the uh, early season invite tournaments in 2015. Um, but the 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 important part about this is this this will be in Fort Worth. Played at the the Dickies Arena on December eighth. That is the same weekend as the uh, the Big Twelve Championship game in Jerry World. So you may as well just book your hotel now and travel up there and get a Texas versus A and M basketball game and a Texas versus I don't know who presumably OU I guess uh, whoever their opponent happens to be in the Big Twelve Championship football game. So um, you know, as is as noted recently, Texas owns the DFW. So uh seems like a pretty good place to play. Um both coaches, um Buzz Lightyear and Shaka Smart saying that uh you know they're happy the rivalry is renewed. I didn't see anywhere in the in the releases that this is a for sure ongoing repeatable offense, but uh, hopefully it is. I'd like to see this happen uh, once a year. It's something to look forward to. Yeah, and I, I, I really think like you're on to something like booking a nice long weekend, you know, find a, find a nice steakhouse in, in the DFW area for a, for a nice post big 12 championship victory meal or Irish wake either way, probably a victory meal though. Um, and have a good time. And, and again, getting closer and closer to playing in the sports that matter against A&M, like them playing in baseball was super cool, especially given the setting and then transitioning now to basketball, I don't see the football rivalry happening anytime soon because it's basically a the cards are on the impetus is all on AM and it's a lose lose for them, basically. If they beat Texas, there's not a ton of upside to it because there's a but if they lose to Texas, then there's a forever scoreboard that continues and there's not a lot of impetus for Texas to play because, again, Texas has the Case McCoy beat you uh, trump card at least until the teams play again. Yeah, and I mean, as I as I banged the drum on, um, I believe last week, if not the week before, um, it is a lose lose situation for AM anyways in this rivalry, uh, much like baseball, softball, volleyball, um, women's basketball, football, men's tennis, women's tennis, etc. Everything except soccer. 
hilariously, um, the men's basketball all-time series stands at 137 to 86, of course, in favor, like all the sports I mentioned, uh, of the Texas Longhorns. So, yes, the, this whole rivalry actually is a lose-lose situation for the, the fight in Texas Aggies. So we are 74 days away from kickoff. That means we are smack dab in the middle-ish of our season preview. We're kicking off Big 12 play this week with the Oklahoma State Cowboys, and we are joined by a man who I feel like is the busiest man in uh, in sports media and podcasting, Philip Slavin from Cowboys Ride for Free, the 1012 podcast. And you do what else do you do, Philip? There's quite a bit out there. I occasionally write for Land Grant Gauntlet when I feel like um, I just, you know, have free time, which I don't think I've had free time for the past four and a half months. So, <laughs> you know. Who needs that? Yeah, well, when you have a baby, it, uh, yeah, it, that, I'd come up with something clever, but I'm so brain dead from uh, <laughs> from a toddler that I can't I can't be cle- like all my cleverness is used up by two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, that's that's the true sign of a dad right there. Happy belated Father's Day to you, to you, <laughs> you guys as well. Oh man, but Philip is here to to talk about his. Can I call it your first love? Is that fair to call it your first love? The Oklahoma oh, State Cowboys. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I. As I said before we started, I'm going to take off my 1012 unbiased, um, and I'm going to go ahead and put on my orange lens glasses, and uh, let just the uh, the orange blood flow through me. If if this was a video podcast, they would see literal orange glasses, or at least I wish they would. Uh, but uh, so we're going to start uh, with the uh, the running back position, which one of my favorite things about Oklahoma State is that they they're known as like the air raid passing team. But one of Gundy's things is like, he wants to be balanced, right? Like that's what he always tries for at least question mark. Yeah. Can we, I, I just an aside, uh, the first, I, I'm really tired of sports announcers. You know, the lazy ones who are like, okay, we're going to see some great air raid offense in the big 12 today. And you're like, no one in the Big 12 really runs – like there's air raid principles, but calling them an air raid offense means you probably haven't watched anything since like 2007. So good job doing your homework. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Gundy has always loved having a balanced offense. I And I, I'm going to be a bad OSU fan because I forget what year it was. But, I mean, there was one year literally had the end of the year the exact same number of passing yards as rushing yards. I mean, it was – I think Gundy probably has that stat framed and on his wall in his office and he just stares at it sometimes and gets lost in how magical and beautiful it is but gundy loves to run the ball and running the ball is is very very important to oklahoma state which is why it's you know we've got some good running backs and you're gonna carry the ball a few times right uh and it's so Unfortunately, or at least maybe fortunately for the rest of the Big 12, I'm not sure. Uh, the Cowboys have to replace a guy who rushed for like what 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns in three years. Oh, yeah. Um, they they leaned heavily on on the man who may be on the all time all name team, Chuba Hubbard, last year, uh, and he played well. But what is what is kind of the running game now look like with Hubbard presumably taking the running back spot uh, and taking over that primary load of carries for the Cowboys? So first, just let me clarify, it's, it's Chuba Hubbard. Chuba. Uh, I found that out when I interviewed him before, after he committed, like, way back in the day. I say way back in the day, like, three years ago. But it's <laughs> Chuba Hubbard, just, just so you can I just Can I just tell you how much that shatters me? Because I was ready to refer to our defense as, as Chuba Chasers. Um, so <laughs> it, it, it's fine. I mean, you've, you've wrecked my worldview, but go ahead. I mean, look, all the Big 12 is going to be chasing Chuba around this year. Uh, here's the deal. When, when he showed up on campus, he didn't even play his two freshman season, and it destroyed every Big 12 fan because I've never heard Gundy. Gundy doesn't tend to overstate his, his I don't want to say, affection toward a player or, or how excited he is to see a guy. And when you hear Gundy just say, like, man, he just he gets the ball and he's gone, and you're like, oh, uh, oh. Like you can just hear every OSU fan just go, um, can we see him? And he's like, no, you're going to wait a year. We're like, oh, come on, man. And then we actually saw him for the first time. And we all just kind of went, oh, oh, that that's that's what he was talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. Chuba is fantastic. He is incredibly fast. He's super shifty. Look, I'm not going to say he's better than Justice Hill, but 
he's not a step back from him in any way, shape, or form. I have I have no concern with him leading the offense. I mean, the last four games of the season, um, when when Justice Hill was out for the year, he just he dominated. He had 79 carries, 425 yards, five touchdowns. Also caught 13 passes for 110 and a, and a touchdown. And Justice, I actually think what makes Chuba more dangerous is I think he's actually a better pass catching back than Justice was. Like Justice could, but he wasn't a great pass catching back. I think Chuba is better at that than he is, which is going to be a lot of fun uh, with new offensive coordinator Sean Gleason. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, obviously, it's a perfect segue talking about who's throwing the ball. Taylor Cornelius graduated. I mean, he did a he did a, a perfectly serviceable job. I'd even say a good job running that offense, stepping in and doing it. So the the kind of question, oh, the grimace. I, I actually, I'll, I'll love to hear your takes. But um, the uh, the the real question, kind of, of what happens next year is, um, does Spencer Sanders, who we've heard about, um, kind of the big recruit out of Texas, um, get the spot, or is it Drew Brown who transferred in after being, you know, pretty successful uh, at Hawaii and coming in? Uh, who starts game one, and ultimately, is that the same person who starts at the end of the year? So it's a really good question, and there's two ways to look at it. I think if Spencer Sanders starts game one, the only way he doesn't start the whole season is because of an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, Gundy, again, you don't hear Gundy talk highly about a lot of guys, or for that matter, just name their name. He likes to use numbers a lot if you ever listen to his press conferences, number 32 um, or number 12. Uh, but he actually, you know, he'll talk about Spencer by name, which is just, Oh, he must he must be uh, he must have adopted the the boy as much as he's glowing <laughs> about him, um, and I think it, it's I do think it's probably closer than OSU fans are comfortable with it being because no one's been named yet uh, because it, he hasn't named Spencer Sanders or Drew Brown, um, but I man if Drew Brown's the starter if Drew Brown's the starter I'm a little worried. Um, because at this point, Spencer's been in the system for a year. He is the guy who's supposed to be the next guy to take over after Mason. Uh, Rudolph is gone. And I, if he can't beat out Drew Brown, who I think is a good quarterback, but I think like his stats are really good. He was really good at Hawaii. I don't mean to like underplay Hawaii, but it's Hawaii. Mm. I, if Spencer can't beat out Drew Brown, I'm a little bit worried. The truth of the matter, I know we're going to talk about Gleason here in a little bit, but you know, if you went back and looked at at Sean Gleason's tapes and, and the stuff they did at Princeton, like Sean Gleason loves to play like three quarterbacks on the field at the same time. Now, I don't think Gundy would ever let him get away with that ever, but I don't think whoever is named starter that we're not going to see both of them in action. And I really think right. there's a good chance of seeing both when we get down into the red zone, a la 2015, when you had Mason Rudolph, and then they would pull him and put J.W. Walsh in. Now, I don't think it'll be a situation where one of them gets pulled and the other one gets put in, but I do think when we get into red zone action, you're going to see both guys because you've got two guys with strong arms, two guys who are supposed to be fairly accurate, and and it would just, I mean, come on, who doesn't want to see? Let's just break the old, like, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterbacks curse and just put two in there and, and just drive everybody crazy. I can't wait to see Gundy's invention or Gleason's invention where they just put quarterbacks on opposite side of the field and throw horizontally until someone gets open. That looks fun, like a little game of game of catch. But no, you, you mentioned Gleason, and so I'll, I'll I'll pivot there a little bit because he's an interesting guy. He did some really cool stuff, like you said, but you know, again at the FCS level, um, between him and then Charlie Dickey coming from KSU, uh, do you have any indication of, of some of the new wrinkles or uh, stuff we should be looking for this year from from this offense? So I'll say this. I think starting off, especially in year one, Gundy is going to bring any offensive coordinator in to run his offense. Uh, There's not going to be some brand new offense, some drastic change. It's still going to be Gundy's offense. But that said, I do believe that Gundy's a smart guy. He's going to allow Gleason to include a lot of his wrinkles. You don't bring a guy in who's as creative as Gleason was at Preston, FCS or not, and not let him – bring the things that he does. And one of those things is it, they started to put a little bit more emphasis on the use of the cowboy back last season. The cowboy back is basically OSU's tight end. Um, mm. You started to see them used, uh, Jelani Woods getting used more just because he's so stinking tall and big. And, oh, my gosh, we actually found out he could play tight end, even though because he was not a great quarterback. I think that they're going to use the cowboy back a lot more in the passing game than they have recently. We don't, haven't used the, the tight end in, in years, really since Dana Holgerson showed up. It hasn't been 
heavily incorporated in the offense. They've tried to do it more the past few seasons. And I really think Gleason's going to utilize that position more than they have really since, yeah, since Holgerson showed up. So I think that's going to be a big difference. I think there's going to be a lot more creativity. I really liked Mike Yersich's offense corner. I know a lot of OSU fans didn't. Um, I thought he did a great job. You can nitpick. You know, everyone hates their OC. There's no, no one is less popular than their offensive coordinator, and no one is more popular than the backup quarterback, as, as yep. it were. Um, yep. I liked Yersich. He did a great job. That said, he wasn't always great at making adjustments in game. He he would kind of just keep hitting that A button, and maybe you're going to land a punch eventually. Here, I do think <laughs> Gleason is a more creative guy likes to do more things and i'll be curious if gundy lets him and how he figures out how to utilize that creativity in the middle of a first quarter when things aren't quite working what he'll be able to do i think i think he's going to be i mean look gundy's got a track record of hiring really good offensive coordinators that work out and go on and do great things i have no reason to doubt that the, he hires the offensive coordinator from the most prolific offense in FCS that, you know, Bill Connolly is drooling over the from SB Nation. And I just, I think it's going to work out. Um, as far as Charlie Dickey, my biggest thing with him is maybe we'll actually have an offensive line coach that sticks around for more than a, than a couple of seasons. Because <laughs> that's been a, a rotating spot ever since Joe Wickline left back in 2013. I think we've gone through just the fifth guy in like six years, it's it's not great. Um, Dickey was at Kansas State for years. Um, Gundy has said he had tried to hire him away from from bef- Kansas State before, and he wouldn't leave. You know the '84 Holiday Bowl windbreaker wearing magician himself. <laughs> he just wouldn't leave him. So now he's back on the market. Oklahoma State needed a new, new offensive line coach. I mean. It took a day, and he was the new OC, uh, offensive line coach. One day, job's been open for now. It's we're failed. Like I'm sitting here the night before, like prepping. Like here's eight possible candidates for new offensive line coach for Oklahoma State for Cowboy Driver Free, and I'm like, all right, I'm getting this. Oh, we have a guy. Oh, he wasn't on my list. <laughs> just delete, delete. Just forget that this ever existed. Just don't even talk about it. Burn it to the ground. I think that a. I think he's a guy who's going to, he's not going to, he's not looking to bounce around. He's an older guy. I think he's going to be there for a while. And that's the biggest thing for OSU is they haven't had consistency and they haven't had depth in the offensive line. They've been building up the depth. They really have. And I think that he is continuing to improve the recruitment at that area, at that spot. We've already got a three really good guys um, in this 2020 class that's coming in. So I think recruiting is going to pick up on the offensive line and I think consistency. And, and those two things should help get OSU's offensive line back to where it was during the Joe Wickline era when it was one of the best in the Big 12 year after year after year. Yeah, and, and you said something interesting there, and I just want to point out Herb Hand. Um, we're very happy with him, so there's no need to bring Dickey in as our offensive coordinator at Texas. And I heard you a little Freudian slip. You did, I think you said OCOL. It's interchangeable, I think, for the most part. They work hand-in-hand, or they're supposed to. Well, yeah, when Wickline, you know, he thought he should be the OC, and, and you guys let him be the offensive line. I mean, OC, I mean off, whatever. So, uh. yeah. That, they, that's a multi-million said, dollar distinction. That's a yeah, multi-million say, have dollar they, distinction. Have they settled that lawsuit yet? Is that a, is that still in litigation? <laughs> I don't know. What do you want? Neither, neither. Is he coaching still? Like I'm sure he's still, wasn't he at West Virginia? He, I think so. Yeah. Neither school really cares at this point of of the two on this podcast represented. No, <laughs> we're not good. At all. We're good. We've moved on. So you we got a guy whose name is Dicky. Like, how do you not want a guy whose name is Dicky and it just seems awesome? Like, come on. That's a good name. <laughs> I, I like Charlie. Charlie Dickey's just a strong name. I like it. It's it's. It is a strong name. Yeah. And it seems like the guy who, like you know the bully in in third grade is like we're gonna pick on him because his name's Charlie Dickey and then he just rises up and beats the snot out of him. That's a Charlie Dickey to me. <laughs> the quiet kid in the corner who act whose whose dad is a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> no, his dad's like special ops. You just don't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> I I love it so. <laughs> Our our weird our weird elementary school stories aside, uh, so you mentioned the the creativity that you expect from Gleason. He has two two fun uh, players to to kind of move around the field. Uh, in Tylen Wallace, who I still wake up in cold sweats uh, thinking about him, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, and and Dylan Stoner both return. Um, so who else? Because traditionally, you talk about the Gundy offense. He's going to spread the ball around to multiple guys. So two is not enough for that offense. Who are going to be the other guys that you see kind of taking 
a, a big step forward as far as contribution in the wideout spots. Well, I mean, I'll say this for Tylen. Um, I think he's going to take a big step forward. If you really watched him last year, he he dropped some passes he should have had. I mean, he he had some he did some dropsies a few times, and it and it was it was kind of, I think the difference between him winning the Blitkenkoff and not last year was just some moments where you watched him and went, he's there, and it's it's all there if he can just just put some sticko on those hands and not drop mm. those balls every once. Um, and I think he takes a step forward this year, which um, good luck, Big Twelve. Um, I yeah. don't care how good your secondary is. Like, <laughs> good luck. Um, yeah, you mentioned Diller Stoner, who just, I mean, Stoner's, every team wants a Dylan Stoner. He's that Mr. Reliable. You're just like, oh, it's third down. They're going to throw it to Stoner. What, what do you mean he's, what do you mean he caught it? We should have four guys on him. Like, what are you doing? So he's a fan favorite. Um, behind them, since Tyron Johnson is off as an undrafted free agent in Houston because he just couldn't play in college anymore, but power to him, that's fine. Um, I think the guys to really keep an eye on first off is Patrick Kaufman. Um, he was a guy that we we heard a lot about uh, before the 2018 season, during spring ball, during the summer, during fall camp, as a guy who was going to come out of nowhere and really, really be good. Uh, then he tore his ACL and missed all of last season. He's back healthy. I think he's a, a, a key top candidate to fill that wide receiver X role that, that is basically the open spot. Another guy to keep an eye on is Landon Wolf. He, when Dylan Stoner went out with injury last year, Wolf filled in um, and started three games and played a lot last season. He ended up actually being the fourth leading receiver on the team last year. So he'll be back. He'll be good. A couple other guys to keep an eye on. Um, guys who saw the field last year who might be ready to take the next step. Braden Johnson looked good in, in limited spots he didn't get the ball thrown to him a lot but there's there's two guys i really want to see this year i, I hope to see one of them is cj moore he'll be a, a redshirt freshman this year he was a, a talented kid out of tulsa union who came in the uh, 2018 recruiting class i'll be excited to see if he gets to see the field the other one is an incoming freshman is langston anderson and i i watched a lot of tape of his and if if he can see the field as a freshman yay like that's, there's gotta be, there's, there's always, you know, you lose, you lose James Washington, you get Tylen Wallace, you know, you lost Justin Black when you got, there's always somebody waiting in the wings for Oklahoma state that once that guy leaves and everyone's in the big 12 is like, oh, finally he's gone. Someone else <laughs> pops up and you're like, son of a bear. <laughs> <laughs> How do they keep finding these three stars that turn into awesome? So, um, I, I, someone's in there. I'm really curious. I would keep an eye on, on CJ Moore and Langston Anderson as the two guys I think could be the next guy waiting in the wings. One of the most commonly used phrases on this podcast is he was a wide receiver that Mike Gundy wanted. Anytime we evaluate high school receivers. <laughs> yeah. You guys just don't seem to use them as well as we do. I don't know what that's about. Fan, that's well, a fantastic question. It, it is, and we, and we get a, we get as much use out of them in one off season and send them right back. You know, we don't even need them to actually play for us. But that's neither here nor there. I do have to ask a question, and I appreciate uh, the deep dive because Langston Anderson's not a guy I had on my radar. But now that I'm looking at this two four seven page, um, I, I will have something to share my nightmares. But I do have to ask, like. I want your hometown bias right here because I watched Tylen Anderson really closely in, in two games. I watched multiple games of his, but two games obviously stood out against the two perennial, you know, biggest powers in, in, in the Big 12, traditionally Texas and OU. Um, having 200 yards and two touchdowns and 10 catches in each, that's not like replicable. He can't do that every single game, right? And if he does... <laughs> like, let, let me just say that. Like, that's... He and he made catches like at, at, there is a thing for OSU fans where like you lose Justin Blackman, you're like, it's going to be a, like you lose Dez. You're like, it's going to be, oh, there's Justin Blackman. Well, it's going to be, oh, there's James Washington. Oh, it's, oh, there's Tylen Wallace. Like if you just keep cranking out these guys, you're like, they're going to go to the NFL and be okay. He's, he's legitimately <laughs> that good. Like I, he made catches uh, and plays. You're just like, yeah, how did he get that? Like, mm. I, and again, that's what's so frustrating about, about the drops every once in a while. I don't want to overstate the drops. Like, he's out there, you know, like, um, who was the guy for Ole Miss that couldn't handle the ball ever? You know what I'm talking about. He was like some five-star guy. He's supposed to go OSU, but, you know, we don't pay. So he went to Ole Miss. Anyways, <laughs> um, I just – he's he's just that good. He's just that athletic. He, I just I can he do that every game? I don't think he's gonna do that every game, but I do think in big games they are gonna go to him and and in big spots because they know they can rely on him to make big plays when they need it. 
So is can he have more 200-yard, two-TD, 10-catch games? <laughs> yeah, especially <laughs> the big ones. <laughs> well, let's move on to something that's more fun for our listeners. Um, Oklahoma State also has to play a defense, um, and this, this is the – <laughs> no, we don't. No, no. We just it's it's we're just well, this is like fantasy football. It's only offense. We have no IDP. <laughs> that, that you know, if you could get that league, you you would have a uh, you would have a puncher's chance to win a national championship every year. And I mean that very seriously. But I mean, you have Jim Knowles. You have a good coach in his second year. Um, y- there are some things that you know look promising. I think um, there's some things that I don't even want to lead this question too much because I'd like to hear what you say, but obviously replacing um, a lot up front with a defense that, you know, actually was more dangerous than the stats would tell you based on how much they could get after your quarterback last season. Um, But when you replace a guy like Jordan Brailford and and Jarrell Owens, honestly, as well, um, I mean, What's your what's your kind of baseline expectation for this defense? Do you see any new look replacing some of that uh, talent, or, or where's your where's, where's your gut at starting, starting off the season? season? So you are right. First off, you were changing to an entirely new defensive system last year with Jim Knowles, and you know it, it wasn't just a matter of them learning the system. The roster wasn't built for Jim Knowles' defense. So this year, I, I think they're going to take a step forward in some spots and a step backwards in others. You're right. Mm-hmm. They're replacing their top six defensive. Lyman defensive ends from last season. Then another guy, Patrick Macon, who was supposed to be a contributor, he he transferred out. So they've been trying to bring in anybody and everybody they can to fill this defensive line and the DE roles for this season. Um, they're not going to be as – I don't think they'll be as aggressive at trying to get to the quarterback and get the sacks and, and, and blitzing as much this year as they were last year because they don't have – that experience because they don't have the guys that they know they can rely on to do that. Now, I still think you're going to see linebackers like Calvin Bundage sitting there just inching and itching, ready to just come knock a quarterback's head off. But I don't think they'll be as aggressive there. On the flip side, last year, the secondary was an issue. It was incredibly young. You had a lot of true freshmen starting games at safety. They're all a year older now. Like the entire two deep pretty much comes back between safeties and quarterbacks. They're all going to take a step forward. I, and and yeah. we saw, especially those two freshmen like, um, like Colby Peel and Jarek Bernard, like they took big steps forward by the end of the year. They, I mean, they weren't like all Big 12, let's send them to the NFL yet. But from from starting at the beginning of the season to the end of the year, they were vastly improved. So if you give them another offseason where they're learning this this system, they've gotten bigger, they've gotten faster, as, as you would expect a sophomore to do. I expect the secondary to be the strength of the defense. Now, And I'll say this, senior A.J. Green is, is the senior cornerback. And he had, look, he was awesome last year, dependent upon the refs. And what I mean by that is A.J. Green likes to play aggressive. And when the refs let him play physical, um, he was one of the best corners in the Big 12. When the refs were nitpicking mamsy pamsy nonsense, um, he got penalized a lot. And that's on him. He's got to figure that out early in the game when the refs are going to call every every touch foul. Um, but when he was allowed to play aggressive, you go back and watch the West Virginia game, they put him on Sills a lot. And Sills kept getting mad because he couldn't get pass interference. And then Sills finally figured out and was also playing aggressive against him. But he, was, he locked Sills down. And when A.J. Green is allowed to be aggressive – he will shut down your best guy. I think he's actually one of the best corners in the Big 12. He's just He just has to figure out when the refs are going to let him play the style he likes to back off a little bit. We're a, we're a podcast that loves to talk about like a, a lockdown corner, and so I think uh, when you can when you can put a, a aggressive cornerback on on a team's best receiver, like hey, you other ten guys figure it out. I've got this one. It feels like uh, yeah. any defensive scheme feels and plays better. And you know, as a fan, like refs stay away just let them play like if there's obvious like huge pushing shoving trip like if there's obvious pass interference offensive defensive fine throw the flag but let them play if the off if the, if the wide receiver's not going to push back that's on him like let them play and i want to see a wide receiver and a cornerback kind of go at it like i want to see that fight because that's that's good but i don't that's good football to me like that's really good like oh my gosh did you see that catch the defender cornerback had it like perfect was all over like i want to see that i don't need the refs being like i'm sorry hi did you forget about me i'm here to two like <laughs> leave your flag go away go look yeah, at the defensive it, line okay call some false starts we don't care 
and and as a as a fan base, the University of Texas has never once referenced the referees in a game with Oklahoma State. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never a meltdown to be to be found um, for sure. But I'll, I'll... The, uh, the listeners can't see it, but it's the world's smallest violin playing. My heart <laughs> weeps for you. Uh, I know it's really hard to hear. My mic's not Fair. that good. It's a Fair. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, besides, um, you know, proper officiating that, that calls the legal formation shifts and everything, um, we're, we're curious about what you think the, uh, the the key indicator in 2019, you know, summing up all the things we've said or something maybe you haven't discussed so far, the key indicator for success for, for this uh, Oklahoma State team this year. Yeah, it's very simple. Um, so in 2017, it was Mike Gundy's least penalized team at Oklahoma State. They averaged 45.5 penalty yards a game. Least penalized team of Gundy's era. Um, last season was the most penalized team of Gundy era. 70 and a half yards a game. And it wasn't just the yards increase. It wasn't just the 30 so yards that were the problem. It was that the penalties always seemed to come at the worst moments. You talked about Taylor Cornelius. And part of what kind of people just didn't seem to quite catch was unfair to him was it really seemed like every time the offense started to click, you'd get an offensive penalty that would push it backwards and kill the drive. Every time they would get a stop. And there were a couple of these, I referenced AJ green at that Baylor game, they'd get a stop. They'd have the game. You'd have, all right, they're going to kick it. Oh wait, no, there's a flag down. Okay. Well, so now they get the ball. Now they're going to keep the drive going and it killed OSU all season. It would keep the opponent in the game and kill OSU's offense over and over and over again. So all those weird games where OSU kept losing to Baylor and TCU and Kansas state where you're like, what do you like? You can beat Texas and West Virginia and lose mm-hmm. to OU by a point, but you can't beat the garbage of the conference this season. What are you guys right. doing? They just were playing undisciplined football, and they really did it a lot. And Gundy has uh, – there was an interview with Bill Haston from the Tulsa World, and Gundy owned up to it. He basically said, you know, I, I thought things were going at this point in the program where I could kind of – I don't want to say coast, but, you know, just kind of relax a little bit. And it showed. It, it, it mm-hmm. really did. Um, and I – so I really think that this season – I know you're still breaking in, you know, it's year two of a defense, you got a new offensive corner. I think there's going to be a lot more focus on we can't play that kind of undisciplined football. Because when Mike Gundy first got to OSU and this team was really, really good when they were when they were early on, like that's the kind of stuff that they focused on. You had to be disciplined. You had to pay attention to detail. Like you weren't going to out-talent anybody, so you had to do everything else perfectly. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, that stuff, uh, you know, 2017, it was two seasons ago. They were the least penalized team in Gundy history. Like, they they played well. Last year, I think Gundy took his foot off the off the gas a little bit. I think he lost a lot of leadership from the year before, and it was just really undisciplined, and especially on, on defense. So that is, to me, the indicator of whether or not OSU is going to have another rough 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five season, or if they can go out and win 9 or 10 games, is if they can avoid shooting themselves in the boot. I like that. The shooting themselves in the boot. That that's a good way to. That's a good period to put on it. So, um, thank you. So we are. We didn't prepare you for these next questions. We're gonna do a little rapid fire, uh, and and I feel like you can handle it. So our first rapid fire question. We're kind of doing this for uh, for all of our our guests. So okay. We want you to dig deep and say something nice about the Oklahoma Sooners. Hmm. Hmm. Um, their men's gymnastic team is really good. <laughs> okay, perfect. Okay, that that counts. That counts. No, it, it doesn't. All. No, that's that's perfect. And you you didn't even compliment you know the uh, the the twenty or thirty teeth they they possess in the in the program. But no, um, the uh, the the last last year though, uh, UT and Texas game. I hate to keep going back to it, but it just was a lot of. Uh, a lot of fun to watch, even if the outcome didn't go our way. But at the end, some tempers flared, and then both coaches were on the field. That is merely a segue into the question I want to ask you. Please now describe head coach Mike Gundy as a wrestling character. And a, th- a couple things to consider is, um, would he be a charismatic face or an all-time you know lovable heel like a Chris Jericho, maybe a signature move, any of these types of things, please don't fear going into any level of detail. Okay, well, I mean, at this point, we know he'd be rocking an orange singlet because we've already seen that <laughs> happen. I think his nickname would be Big Daddy. 
um, as we've already seen that on the mug. And as we know, he enjoys wrestling rattlesnakes. I'm sure his yeah. key move would be called the rattlesnake. Oh. Um, and would involve some sort of dipping his sweaty mullet into their open mouth uh, <laughs> and just wiggling around. And, and that would be the, that after he took them down, that would be the end, the piece de resistance that they'd just be. Like after you get some sweaty mullet in your mouth, you're done. <laughs> like Rikishi with the, uh, whatever that move was, the fat bottom. <laughs> The speed at which you rattled that off is concerning. I'm really honest with you. <laughs> I gotta be honest. As sleep deprived as I am, I'm really proud of myself for that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, um, the the Cowboys and and the the Longhorns um, were an exclusive club in the Big Twelve last year, being the only two teams that beat the SEC opponent that they matched up against in the in the bowl games, uh-huh. uh, or at least. Not the Oklahoma Sooners, right? We'll just just trying to find a way to take a shot at them at any opportunity. Um, I didn't see Gundy do a weird dance on the sideline when they beat Missouri, so we'll just leave it at that. But um, one of the things that we we like to proclaim on this podcast, I want to get your opinion of it. Do are you willing to go on record and say that as a conference, the Southeastern Conference is overrated, other than the Alabama Crimson Tide? Yeah. I mean, why do you think they all chant SEC? They're not going to chant their own team names. Why would they do that? It's it's Alabama. You can't chant Alabama because that would be too much credit. So if you just chant the conference, it's like, yeah, we're all awesome. Yeah, that's the SEC is literally everybody in a group project except the one person who actually does all the work. You know, that one straight A student who's going to be valedictorian. <laughs> that's Alabama. Everybody else is the slackers who she got stuck with because the teacher's like, I mean, otherwise they're just going to like hand in a brown paper bag. Can you go help them, please? That would be great. Thank you. I mean, there's Georgia and I know Florida's back on the way up, but like, look, I, I get it. The big 12 has 10 teams and it's always at a disadvantage because everybody has to play everybody. And we don't all get a Tennessee to play cross conference every year, um, which would be, I mean, we do it's Kansas, but that's, that's not really the point. We have to play everybody else. The SEC is fine. They're just like, it's Bama and everybody else. I mean, let me. Okay, full credit to Georgia. They've got things going, but we also know Georgia's going to lose a game they shouldn't to somebody every year. So whatever. Yep. yep. I, I hope you're not counting UT as that one last year. But no, the uh, the uh, the other that both of you overlooked, and I'm um, actually proud of you, is is the the Baylor of the Big Twelve beat the Baylor of the SEC being Vanderbilt. So um, Big Twelve actually went three and zero in non. OU-related uh, SEC bowl games um, last year. Forgettable? Like, does anybody remember? Like, the Cheez-It Bowl is more rem- memorable than that bowl game between Baylor and Vanderbilt. Like, no one – I forgot they even both went to a bowl game. It was a Thursday night Texas Bowl. I mean, what gets bigger than that? The, the Cheez-It Bowl. The yeah, amazing, bowl, wonderful, awesome Cheez-It Bowl that we I will make sure to circle and, and sit down and watch – Un, no phone, no baby, nothing this year in the hopes that it will somehow be as memorable as that monstrosity. That's fair. That's a very fair point. Um, so that's, you know, I have one more to end on, and I think it's in the same vein there. Um, this this will, unless Gerald has something up his sleeve, this will be our final uh, question. So this year, um, your punter is a 29-year-old freshman from Australia. Yes. So again, it, that is a fact. My question in the event that Dennis Quaid can't pull off an Aussie accent, who plays him in the film adaption? Hmm. So I actually talked to him. I did an interview with him um, a few months back. And A, I'll just say this. He's, he's pretty awesome. It's nice having a nice, mature 29-year-old guy. Again. As to, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> this time, at kick, not at quarterback. Yeah. Um, <laughs> In the film, I should be good at this. I used to be a film major. This is embarrassing. I can talk about mullets and singlets, but I can't talk about uh, um, art house film. Can I? Can I go very? Can I be very specific and just say uh, Ryan Gosling? But Ryan Gosling from Remember the Titans. Like you have to like pull him from that okay. moment in time to have him. Pull. I don't want Ryan Gosling now. Although right. Ryan Gosling now would be a little bit more appropriate. But I, you know, yeah, that's not a good answer. Dang, it. <laughs> I gotta end on this now. This is embarrassing. Intentionally tough, and I'm I'm sorry. That's that's a tough one to, to do entirely on the spot. I just as a podcast that prides 
We took the we took the easy answer. Is is the That's, problem? It took it from you. Yeah, as a podcast that prides itself on Australian kickers and and punters and and literally, you know, uh, this will be a battle from down under with Buchevsky and 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 your uh, your fella from down under. So, I mean, we all know what matchup we'll really be watching when this rolls oh, around. Yeah. It's just going to be kickers. We should literally just have them line up on opposite ends of the field and see which one can hit the other one first. I, I'm in. Even if that is, I want that to be the halftime show. <laughs> like, no, that's the, that is the new um, college football tiebreaker. You just have to, they're just going to kick balls at each other <laughs> as fast as they can. The first one to get hit. It's like ultimate football dodgeball. Like it's the best. <laughs> maybe, maybe with a, a screen in the middle kind of incorporates the battleships as well. So they don't know where the other is standing. <laughs> you sunk my kicker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that needs to be a new podcast name. I'm just throwing that out there. Somebody <laughs> out there, you just got a free, incredible podcast name. You sunk my kicker. You but, can uh, send a check to uh, Philip Slavin at one two. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so, Philip, w- speaking of ways to get in touch with you, uh, if folks want more of this, where can they find you on the internet? That depends. Um, if they want Oklahoma State heavy leans, you can follow me on Twitter at OKTXAR Poke. Those are all the states I've lived in Oklahoma, Texas, and Arkansas. Um, you can also catch me on Cowboys Ride for Free. That's the SB Nation Oklahoma State site. I write a lot of content, especially recruiting stuff for them. I also co host their podcast with my good friend Jill Penfield, who is currently um, finally out of, uh, finally getting married. So he'll no longer be living out of wedlock that he than he is. He's never going to hear this, so that's fun. Um, if you want a little less biased opinions from me, which is me gritting my teeth, talking nicely about the other Big 12 teams, you can check out my other podcast, the 1012 Podcast, on Twitter at T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Uh, we've had both of you on there before, which has been a ton of fun, which yep. is, you know. And I, I look forward to having you both on again because we're going to have to do – we've got a few Texas things we're going to have to talk about, like what is going to be the most important game for Texas this season. We, 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 we won't, won't spoil it. We'll, we'll save it for, for the pod. pod. Yeah. That's good. That's good. You have, to tu- you have to tune in to 1012 to find out our opinions, guys. That's right. That's right. So that will come in like, I don't know, late July. Yeah. Feels good. Feels good. Well, Philip, thank you so much for taking some time out. I know you just put the, the kids to sleep and you need to get some yourself. I don't know. What is the sleep you're talking about? I just like, just kind of half close my eyes for fear she's going to scream um, and <laughs> just zombie my way through the day. In fact, I don't even remember having this conversation. I'm not sure this is real right now. I could just be in a, in a half dream. <laughs> well, it'd be, a, it'd be a great dream for us, Philip. Thank you so much again for, uh, for hanging out with us tonight. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. So we're finally getting back into our... Uh, positional previews. We took a couple weeks break because, well, you have to when you go as deep on Rice as we did last week. Uh, so we're going to jump back in and talk about the linebackers, a position that there are a lot of questions. Kyle, if there's one spot on the defense that I have some, I don't want to say like nerves about, but but I have some questions I need answered by this group is the linebacker group. Top two tacklers, Gary Johnson and Anthony Wheeler, both graduated trying their talents at the next level. Uh, Texas also lost Cameron Townsend to a transfer, which leaves not a ton of depth there. And we've talked before at, at length about this. The linebackers and the safeties are kind of the key pieces to this defense's success if you look statistically over the last several years um at least in the scheme texas is running now yeah and, and there's a word that comes to mind it's a favorite of mine it seems like a very biblical word consternation I'm, I'm i'm slightly consternated i don't know if you can aid it but uh consternation is what i feel uh about this position group there's a little anxiety that's a little uh a little bit uneasy um, about this. That doesn't mean it's going to be bad. And in fact, I think the starting three is probably pretty good. Um, but it's just you know what happens when you get knocks. And like you said, this is a this is a group that you know you see Orlando do all kinds of different things with like he does with his safeties. Um, you know, and it's it's real easy to get you know a blitzing 
uh, blitzing rover get you know a, a nasty cut block from a uh, you know a running back or something, and all of a sudden you're you're out for a game or two, and, and depth charts start to come into play. So we have to talk about that, um, but I don't want to oversell it and say this is you know um, the sky is falling or, or or anything like that. But you do have to replace Gary Johnson, who was a fantastic player, and Anthony Wheeler, who was underrated and just a solid 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 contributor. Um, so I mean I, I think that the guy that that you start with here because he's the name that's probably most known is Jeffrey McCullough as the shark. And, and he'll probably start the year out at Rover. Um, I see a world in which, you know, he could, he could play any of the three, whichever is kind of needed um, most. But, but again, having that experience, um, having a lot of versatility in what he can do, I think he, he probably starts at that uh, rover position. And as we saw in the in the spring game, where he basically accounted for all of the points um, with his with his interception that you know didn't quite pick six. Um, Shark is 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 gonna be kind of the the uh, bastion of, of this position group. I, I think. Um, I think as we talk about some of the other guys, there's going to be some surprises, but I think, you know, right from the beginning of the year, and especially with an LSU game coming in week two, um, you can't overstate how important his experience and, and um, his steadying hand on this group will be. Yeah, and you you mentioned, uh, just backing up a little bit, you mentioned injuries. Just the ability to have fresh bodies without a significant talent drop-off uh, is what gives me some consternation, Kyle, to use your word, right? Um, so I think... That for me is is the big issue, and we saw Texas get blasted by the injury bug uh, at the West Virginia game a year ago, and we saw what that happened. Um, but I think the Shark is a guy who is probably the most versatile guy on the defense. I would even say, as far as number of spots he can play, number of spots he can fill, and a linebacker like him who is able to both play the run and play in coverage is of the utmost importance in the big 12, because you see a team like Oklahoma state who, despite what most people think loves to run the ball and will pound the rock, but then they'll catch you sleeping and slip a running back. Whoever the tiny fast running back they have this year out in the flats and and you have to cover it. And McCullough has shown the ability to do that. He showed that in the Kansas game. He showed that in the spring game where he's able to float out in a soft zone uh, and come up with a big play, a pass breakup or even an interception uh, and return it for, for significant yards and not quite touchdowns. I feel like we're going to see a not quite touchdown count for Jeffrey McCullough this year. Um, But it's, I mean, there are, there are, there's talent. There's just not a lot of reps, I think, is the biggest question. I mean, Dele, incredible talent, not a ton of reps. Osai got his feet wet a little bit in the end of the season, um, but again, not a ton of reps. So it, it gets even thinner past the ones, and I think that, for me, is the, the biggest the biggest point of, again, I guess we're just going to make this our word of the day, consternation uh, for the season. Yeah, and, and and you mentioned Osai. I I actually think he might be the one who surprises and steps up by the end of the season. Is our um, our best linebacker. Uh, he's a guy who just looks the part. He's a guy who has done it um, in the Rose Bowl. He actually, or excuse me, in the, the Rose Bowl, in the Sugar Bowl uh, this past year, he actually led the team in tackles. He had eight tackles uh, in that game, as you said, kind of uh, coming on towards the end of the season. Um, he actually was a was a weak side defensive end recruit out of high school. So um, you know he's he's still learning. The position, but he has all the speed. He has the the strength, the body type. He just looks like a Dele. Looks like a a you know NFL middle linebacker as a as a young buck. I mean, he's got the look. I think it's all for him. It's raw. And then you think about Byron Vaughn's a guy who again they want to get a little a little time in an ideal world. Um, he could wait another year before he has to play, but he's going to be backing up that B backer. Um, David Gabend is a guy they really like. Um, it sounds like the coaches are really really high on him um, in his spring. Uh, He's a guy who they didn't maybe anticipate factoring in as much as he potentially could um, as a immediate, you know, true freshman. Um, Juwan Mitchell, of course, we talked about him um, when we got that commit. That's that's the big kind of Juco transfer that we were assuming something would happen. This position group probably slots in the middle linebacker, although he has some speed um, there. So, I mean, it, Marcus Tillman, a true freshman there, there's, um, there's guys kind of all over there who will probably mix in where they play. And again, injuries will, um, contribute to that. Who's 
playing really well would contribute to that. Honestly, like we talked about, Todd Orlando's um, scheme will contribute to that. If he's running a 4-2-5 as his base and, and you really only need um, two and you kind of, as we talked about in our defensive back preview, use almost a one of those hybrid safeties that are that are big and, and can move and can hit and can blitz, um, then then maybe it doesn't become, it assuages some of some of the, the fears we have of, of of depth concerns, but I mean, I think from from week one um, against La Tech until um, you know the the Big Twelve championship game, basically, I'm going to be watching this position um, or just watching our defense with one eye at all times on this position group. And it's and it's a position group that's full of like high four star guys. I mean, Osai Dele, Shark, even when he was coming out of high school, all high four star guys. Caleb Johnson. One of the top JUCO players in the country coming in is a guy that we haven't mentioned that could probably play either middle or rover depending on the need. And I think um, he's a guy that we were spiking the ball and dancing when when he decided to come to Texas. And so I think there there is a lot. Again, I, I can't. Can he make the jump from the JUCO ranks to the you know division one ranks i think that is a big question um that you always have with a linebacker now granted a guy like gary johnson proves that you can do that and be really really successful uh at it and so i think he, but he's coming off of an injury so there's there's just there are just too many questions for me to really feel super comfortable with this and again the talent is there it's just can they adjust to the speed of the game in what is one of the fastest, if not the fastest conference in the country? Yeah, and, and, and one thing we haven't talked about here, we've talked about, it, of course, on this podcast, but it's just you mentioned all of those guys. There's a there's a player on here who we were kind of salivating over when you talk about um, big-time recruits, of course, in the Gabriel Floyd. And, and and those things you can't control as a, co- a coach. You, you know, end up missing a year due to spinal stenosis. Um, a lot of people became um, internet uh, spinologists, um, real quick after that, doing all the uh, all the WebMD about what exactly that means. The hope, of course, is that he can be back next year, but they've they've shut him down for this season, um, and that's a loss, right? But that opens a door. I think you don't maybe necessarily get a Juwan Mitchell um, if he's playing because they kind of slot to Gabriel Floyd immediately into that backup spot, potentially even pushing for a starting spot if if you know he's as good as is. Uh, it seemed like everyone had the, had the feeling he would be. So um, there's talent there, but I. Do think this this extends, even though you have young guys um, around this group. This does extend to, to watching it in the recruiting space as well. This is um, you know a position we want to keep that cupboard full. We want these four star guys to get a year where they don't have to see the field. Um, you know, for every Malik Jefferson who's a big time recruit at this position who comes in and, and plays immediately and, and is an impact player. Um, you know, there's 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 guys who who don't quite pan out or don't quite pan out as immediately that doesn't mean their career is over look at a jordan hicks a guy who was a can't miss and and has had a great nfl career um but sometimes injuries or just the the right scheme or or kind of getting it all going in college um this is a tough 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 group to do it because of like you said being on the big 12 where it's speed you're also required to never miss a tackle um at all times you have to be the one who makes the sure tackle um and, and so i mean just a position group that that this year and then extending on, I'm going to be, you know, watching very, very, very closely. So that is, that's the big question. I think on the defense, I think that is probably the biggest question is just, can this unit gel and play up to standard uh, with limited reps in the trenches? But that brings us to the part of the show where we bring some shine to the sports that don't necessarily get as much shine as they should, and we down the 40. So, Kyle, uh, Texas Tennis hired Brandon Wagner to be Bruce Burke's assistant on the national championship winning uh, Texas men's tennis team. He was the assistant coach at uh, USF and Georgia. He was an All-American uh, in the early 2000s, back when you and I were making our college decisions. It's a um, this is a pretty big hire for, for a staff that had a had a – um, need for what turned out to be a championship caliber coach. Yeah, and championship college, correct. He won. He was on that 01 Georgia national championship team. He knows what it takes to win. Um, he's also coached. He's coached, like you said, at the college level, but he's coached um, at the professional level as well. He coached many um, 
kind of uh, players making their from amateur making their um, rise up. He's he's coached uh, a handful of professional players, and kind of the most notable um, is John Eisner, who is himself a giant, um, but who uh, who kind of got famous a for being a giant and b for coming out of nowhere and, and showing out in a few, I believe, it was Australian Open and a couple others. So he had that legendary um, long match there, but um, just you know Rose. Once he was being coached by uh, Coach Wagner, he, he climbed about 100 spots into the top 80 out of nowhere. Um, so a guy who can, you know, who could coach developing uh, talent, which I think is why you saw uh, Del Conte, who makes shrewd hires, and, and Bruce Burke, who seems to, you know, everything he touched turns to gold, feel confident and be excited uh, about this hire. And we're happy to bring you that uh, insight on the Longhorns and the Internet's foremost Texas tennis podcast. The internet's only, I think, Texas <laughs> tennis podcast. In the spirit of that, uh, we just have to wish a quick happy birthday to the Tarati twins, Anna and Bianca, who uh, had a record record setting, I think, uh, doubles streak of like eleven, yeah, uh, eleven straight wins. So, uh, happy birthday to them! Uh, excited to see them back on the court next week. Your boy, Kyle. Your boy. Mateo Bochi, Boki, Bochi Ball, however you want to call him, uh, <laughs> signed with the Chicago Cubs as an undrafted free agent. Uh, Kyle, are you are you're a you're a uh, Astros guy? So how do you how do you feel about uh, about your boy um, signing with the enemy? Um, I mean, it, it, it's it's I'm excited. Ultimately, I'm excited that that a Longhorn is is making the jump. Um, hopefully, makes it to to the majors. And uh, who you get drafted by is always an interesting thing of who you end up with your career. Baseball is such a fluid sport, and there's so many trades that involve prospects. Who knows if he'll ever pitch for the Cubs uh, at all? But my grandpa was a Cubs fan. It was the only. I think he got WGN. That was the only reason. But he watched about every Cubs game. Um, he actually. I think I don't know if I ever told that on the podcast. He actually uh, passed away about a week before the the Cubs. Um, clinched their 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 first world series so um was a special one so i don't hate the cubs actually but um i'm excited for for mateo he's a guy who picked the game up late um has a ton of upside in in that sense just that you know he's he's probably as a as a 21 22 year old um has more growth left in his game than the average um undrafted free agent that you pick up so smart move by the cubs but i do want to just point out how seamlessly we just you know um, put our Italian pipeline in there, going from the Tarotis to uh, Matteo. Uh, Matteo, I'm going to call him Bocci, but I know um, Bati. But uh, you know, UT clearly just needs to um, set me up. I will, you know, get a nice villa somewhere. I don't know. I don't have to be nice. I'm not going to say Turin or Milan. Maybe Parma, um, somewhere on the uh, San Genovese, some Amalfi. You know, whatever, something easy. And I'll just do a little Italian scouting across all sports, um, and also probably set up a, a pasta Instagram. But you know, Chris Alconte, I know you listen. Send me. I, I don't have words for that. Uh, and Kevin Durant, uh, if you were watching the NBA Finals, you saw. Uh, a, a Achilles, I believe it was an Achilles rupture, yeah. right? That was what it was diagnosed as. Well, he successfully had surgery on that and is on the mend. Um, one of two Golden State Warriors stars that were injured in one of the weirdest NBA finals that I think I've ever had the privilege of watching. So, um, just speedy recovery, thoughts and prayers to, uh, to Longhorn legend Kevin Durant as he, uh, he heals up. And I know the question that was that was burning in all our minds. If any of our listeners have any insight, um, does he fit in a standard size hospital bed, or do they make special tall people hospital beds? Because this picture was him in a hospital bed, but I couldn't quite tell if his legs were just kind of hanging off with his recently uh, surgically repaired Achilles hanging off of the the bed because he's a giant giant man. But uh, nonetheless, congrats to NBA champion Danny Green and only Danny Green. Only Danny Green. No, and uh, if we, I know we have a couple of medical professionals that uh, that listen. So if you know the answer to that question, choose a tweet at Longhorn Pod or an email at LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Just so we know, inquiring minds want to know. And now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Um, so this week, I, uh, I'm, I'm going, going to the source. I mean, it's been an off season of of excitement. We're ready to see 
Texas returned the guy. I in in some group texts amongst friends, he's been referred to as Ellen God. Um, I will I will go with the uh, nom de plume of Ellen Gurr. But Sam, the man, um, is ready for the year. Is ready for a breakout year. Is ready for a big year. But let's not sleep on on last year. According to uh, Athlon Sports, Sam Ellinger is the number three quarterback in the nation uh, this season after the two who competed in the national championship last year, of course, Tua uh, and Trevor. Um, There has been some internet debate over that, uh, but there are stats to back up that he was that good as a sophomore, ready to make uh, a step and, and really work on a couple things that, you know, maybe, maybe separate him from, from watching uh, those guys play in a national championship and participating in it. So if, if the jump up this year is as good as it seems, uh, everything can be good. But according to pro football focus last year with a clean uh, pocket, uh, Sam had a passer rating of 113. Five, an overall grade of 85.7 and a 25 to 5 touchdown interception ratio. And remember, this is a guy who probably had, I'd say, eight of his rushing touchdowns or so at least come from passes where Andrew Beck or Colin Johnson or someone got tackled on the one yard line and then he just punched it in. Or that easily could have been something around a 31, 32 to 5 TD to INT ratio. And those numbers would go even higher. Um, the arm is there that's what we're waiting to see if he can even make a a step up we uh we just did the 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 oklahoma state preview and and i was re-watching that in anticipation of this and sam actually had one of his sneaky best games even though the box score isn't that um stand out quite as much as some others uh he had a two throws that that gave me hope for what can be next year a, a a near touchdown again one of those where he was the Andrew Beck was tackled on the one it was perfect a linebacker covering him outside uh shoulder on that route that they just couldn't hit all year and then had a throwback to Keontae Ingram on a wheel route that that literally could not have been thrown more perfect hitting him in stride falling out of the end zone in the pylon just two perfect throws in a game that you know came down to it it was a game of inches they lost by three points um and and some some as we talked about officiating um but you know the arm, I think, is the area where he, he makes the step up uh, even bigger. Uh, last year, the legs, there's no doubt about it. Uh, among quarterbacks, he ranks seventh in missed tackle force. And again, that includes option and run first quarterbacks and 13th in yards after contact. And a, a reminder that a majority of his rushes uh, were inside the tackles in power formations where he was, you know, a few yards from the goal line, uh, as evidenced by one time when they ran quarterback power four times in a row uh, and then ultimately got a touchdown out of it but uh there there are there are incredible stats to back up uh the lofty expectations and there's no reason as we mentioned a couple weeks ago in our quarterback preview to think uh that he's going anywhere but up so banging the drum for sam haven't done it in a while felt like it needed to be done and and i think it's a, it's a fair drum to bang because i think you and i talked about in our quarterback preview sam's passing ability is going to be the the Kind of the 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 straw that stirs the drink in in 2019, I think for Texas. If Sam Ellinger is the leading rusher again this next year, I think that is a sign of uh, things going awry for Texas. So I'm banging the drum uh, this week on Herb Hand, uh, who I'm going to go ahead and officially name the official dad of the podcast, even though (laughs) I myself am a father, but he is way more dad uh, than I am at this point. Um, So yesterday, the... The uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Ryan Nani, I think is how you officially pronounce it, was asking his annual, um, what's the most dad thing you did in the past 12 months questions. And and Herb Hand's response uh, was was just short, just, just south of legendary. This is what Herb said. He said, uh, I installed a ceiling fan in our bedroom uh, on a Sunday afternoon using step-by-step video instructions from a YouTuber. Tuber, marveled at what a good job I had done, drank a beer, and then took a nap. <laughs> and that is some real, real solid dadding. As as a father myself, I, I don't know if I did any dadding of that caliber last year. I mean, you know, I, I had my moments. I, I had, and maybe the sum of my dadding adds up to that level, but 
Herb Hand just continues to be um, needlessly cool for an offensive line coach. Uh, Herb Hand continues to be um, one of the coaches that's really adopting and, and kind of leaning into the social media age of connecting with players and building a brand that way. And it's paying off. Texas's offensive line recruiting is real, real good. And newsflash, the next couple of years are going to be really, really good. Cough, cough, Brockermeyer, cough, cough, number three player in the nation. So... That for me is, I just, I love Herb Hand. Like, I want to just buy him some chicken wings and whatever brew he wants. Probably something, probably something national and light, just knowing the type of dadding <laughs> Herb Hand does, uh, and just hang out for an afternoon. Between his, his, his corny Twitter jokes and his, his fantastic stories and the fact that no one has ever met him and, and doesn't uh, like him, I just want to say that, that it gives us, gives us reason to strive. There are people who, like us, like football a lot, spend a lot of their time thinking or talking about football. Um, but some of them make millions of dollars doing it. But it's nice to see that, that millionaire football geniuses, uh, they're just like us. Dad hard and dad often. Well, that's all we've got for you in uh, this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me on a beach in Barbados. No, I, uh, I will, um, I will be on Twitter some on on my honeymoon, I'm sure. But don't you know? Don't tweet at me too much. Uh, at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Every time I say that, I still marvel that that Twitter handle was available two years ago. Uh, and you can always choose an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Again, if you are a medical professional and know about extra length medical beds, we need to know <laughs> the mysteries. You could tweet at us or email us. Feel free to use the hashtag replies of Texas. You can also send us Facebook messages. That's a thing. We have a Facebook page that we use as well. So feel free to hop on there, send us a Facebook message. Uh, we'll get the alerts there as well. Thank you so much for listening in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. I see you on the South End Zone live cam. Yeah.